as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that right now, as we spend this last session before your word, that you would that you would encourage us, that you would send us off here with great motivation, that you would send us off here with transformation, that you would help us to grow in maturity, and that you would beautify this group of your people. We pray that you would bless, bless us as we sit under your word and help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And I pray peace be still to this wind so we can hear <laughs> what's about to come out of your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What would y'all have done if it would have just went quiet? <laughs> God said, what manner of man is this? <laughs> Back home in Washington, D.C., there is this hospital that I pass every day when I'm on my way to work. Providence Hospital. And I like to observe all the people that are out front of Providence Hospital, but there is a particular group of people that stands out to me. And it's the people wearing the white coats. Now, you know as well as I do that the people wearing the white coats are doctors. You see, you can tell their vocation by what they're wearing. You can tell their calling by their clothing. And I was reading an article in the Washington Post this summer and it made the case that clothing for doctors is not just a matter of personal style. It's an emblem of their specialty. It's an emblem of their training. It's an emblem of their culture. That white coat indicates that this person is operating according to an oath, the Hippocratic oath. And according to that oath, they are reminded that their calling is not just about dealing with fevers fractures and cancers their vocation is about dealing with real living human beings it's about dealing with people and God's vision for his church is that we would be a people that stands out not because of our gifts not because of how smart we are not because of all the other things that corny Christian subculture wants you to believe that Christianity is all about God wants us to stick out because of the moral virtues with which we have clothed ourselves. In other words, people should be able to tell our vocation by the moral virtues that we are wearing. People should be able to tell our calling to Jesus by our moral clothing. That's what we're going to see today. People should be able to see these virtues. These virtues are to be an emblem of our training in the grace of God. These virtues are to be an emblem of our kingdom culture. These virtues are to reveal that we're a people driven by an oath. Not the Hippocratic oath, but God's covenant oath. 
a covenant commitment that says that He is our God, that we are His people, that He is our provider so we don't have to step on people in order to provide for ourselves, that He is the one who calls the shots so we don't have to try to figure out how to run our own lives. We live by a different, a different oath. And according to this oath, we're not just dealing with, with large groups and, and small groups and, and outreaches and, and setting booths up at the student outreach. We're dealing with real people. First, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then the real broken people in the church and the real broken people on the campus. And so this morning, we're going to bring our series on cross-cultural community to a close. And we're going to go out with a strong text that should shape our life together. And this text, I love this text. You know why I love this text? I love this text because it's so accessible. The Apostle Paul describes the moral and ethical change that takes place in the people of God by using the most accessible imagery. He uses the picture of taking off clothes and putting on clothes, just like you did this morning. Some of you took off your pajamas and put on your clothes for the day. In a similar way, Paul says that the transformation that is to take place among God's people is to be likened to a taking off the old vices and putting on the new virtues, all right? So this morning, we're going to approach our text through two points where we talk about our uniform and our unity, our uniform and our unity. So let's look at our first point. We would consider our uniform. Somebody say, check the uniform. Oh, come on, say it like you believe it. Check the uniform. All right. It's Sunday morning, all right? We got, to, we got to have a little feedback in here, all right? Tell the story. That's all right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> My man. All right. Check it out. The book of Colossians, if you've never read it, you need to read it pronto. Because this book is a, an, incredible, an incredible book about the greatness of Jesus. The thematic development of this book is, it is so enlivening. It is powerful. The book starts out talking about the supremacy and preeminence of Christ. Then the Apostle Paul tells you that the whole purpose of his ministry is to present every person mature in Christ. And then he combats a false teaching among the people in the city of Colossae by telling them of their freedom in Christ. He tells them that God has triumphed over their enemies in Christ. He tells them that they have died with Christ, that they have been raised with Christ. In fact, their lives are hidden with Christ, and one day they will appear in glory with Christ. The whole sum of the Christian life is union with Christ. All right? He lays out what you would call nosebleed Christology. You know when you go to the football game and you got the seats that are so high up, they call them nosebleed seats? This is nosebleed, nosebleed Christology. It's such high thinking about Jesus that you get a nosebleed going up with him. All right, That's what we have in this text. He's driving at this rich theology, but here's the thing. He never does theology for the sake of sounding smart or, or blasting people. What he wants to do is he wants to understand this rich theology so that he can bring it down to the life reality on the, on the street, on the ground. It's lived theology that Paul cares about. He, wasn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't really, 
you know, spend all this time talking about how much you know, but how you live what you know, all right? Which is a critical distinction. It's a critical distinction. He gets it down to the ground because he knows that, that this theological understanding, this framework, this kind of community is what breaks status quo oppression and status quo division and status quo loneliness and isolation of people on campus. He knows it's this gospel, this Jesus, and seeing him in all of his glory, that's what gets you from apathy to real conviction and fearlessness. When people say, hey, 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 you're, you're crossing the un, unspoken social lines. And you say, yeah, I did that on purpose. <laughs> because of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus. And so that's what he's doing. And he gets this down to the ground. And he shows us that God's redemptive work, it climaxed in the cross, but it continues through his church. But here's the deal. After laying out all this theology, he says, now check it out, y'all. You need new clothing for your life together. If you're going to be the kind of community that I've called you to be, then you need to change clothes. You got to change clothes. In the beginning of chapter 3, Paul tells these Colossians, you are the Easter people. You're the resurrection community. Now, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, you got to put off the old clothes and you got to put on the new clothes. Look at the old clothing that he, that he talks about. In verses 8 through 9, you must take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another because you have put off the old self with its practices. When you become a participant in the resurrection life of Jesus by faith, you have been united to Christ and you come under the dictates of a new kingdom dress code. A new kingdom dress code. And in verses 12 through 14, you get that kingdom dress code laid out. He says, put on then. Do you see the language put off, put on? Y'all see that in the text? All right. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Could you imagine showing up for a tour of the White House in your pajamas? Anyone here but Stu? <laughs> Could you imagine showing up for a tour of the White House in your pajamas? Could you imagine if the president invited you to be a, a special aide in his, in his cabinet and, and, and he called you to enter in and, and work with him every day? It would feel so embarrassing to go in there wearing your dirty stained jeans and your, and your old torn up shirt that you got from one of your retreats in middle school. I mean, it would be possible, but it would be impossible. It'd be the impossible possibility. You could do it, but how could you? In a similar way, Paul is suggesting that when you come to know Jesus, it's the, it's the impossible possibility that you will continue to wear these old vices that characterize the old life. If you were going to go into the White House, you would go dressed up to impress, right? You would, you would go looking good. It's like, it, it's like going to the prom. Remember prom? Maybe. 
<laughs> you, you don't show up to prom looking like a clown. You go looking smooth because you are going, you get the point, right? This is the kind of notion. It, Paul is aiming to make you feel uncomfortable wearing the old vices. You shouldn't feel comfortable in anger, wrath, malice, and slander and lying to one another. He's trying to give them a vision for being a different kind of community. Could you imagine living in the kind of community that is depicted in this passage, <coughs> verses 12 to 14? Could you imagine what it would be like to live in a community where everyone was wearing these virtues? It would be beautiful. It would be powerful. It would be countercultural. But it would also be cross-cultural. Look at verse 11. I find it very significant that sandwiched between putting off the vices of the old life and putting on the virtues of the new life, we find a bold statement of the cross-cultural vision that God has for his community. Do you see that? It's sandwiched in between there on purpose. It's sandwiched in between there on purpose. He says, here there is not. Here. It may not be true out there. It may not be true in the schools surrounding your local community. It may not be true in the local businesses. It may not be true in the frat houses. It may not be true in the student union meetings. But in here, in Christ, in my community, there is not. You see what he says? There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. From him, through him, and to him are all things. Christ, Christ is all. He's the distinction that matters most. Not your fraternity, not your local college, not any of the other things that you put on to try and distinguish yourself from the other. None of the other things that you try to use to mark yourself out as more important or more worthy or more valuable or cooler or nicer or more put together. None of these distinctions matter above this distinction. Jesus, Christ. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. This goes right along with what we were saying yesterday. Christ is in all. Christ indwells the poorest saint. Christ is imminent with the immigrant saint. Christ makes his home with the homeless saint. Christ is present with the inmate who's a saint. Do you see this? When you look at the other in Christ, you should see immense value. And that's the beginnings of you really showing the kind of love and communal deference that you were called to. Let me ask you a question. Who wants this? You sure you want this? What about now? Oh yeah? What about now? But it's crumpled up. It's stepped on. It's dirty. You still want this $20 bill? Yes. Why? Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much it's been stepped on. It doesn't matter if it's dirty. It doesn't matter if it's crinkled up. You recognize that this bill still has worth. And in the same way, the people that you meet, 
no matter how much they've been beaten up by life, no matter how much they've been stepped on, no matter how dirty they may appear to be, emotionally or literally, they still have value because they were created as God's very image. And for those who are in Christ, that value is confirmed again because they have his name on them. It's the beginnings of seeing, I'm keeping this too, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's the beginnings of seeing this cross-cultural community, right? Because Jesus makes, makes his home with the most scandalous types. He builds friendships on the margins. But we allow our hearts to become gated communities for the well-healed, don't we? If we're honest, we know that we have often been found wearing the tattered rags of self-righteousness. We've often been found clothed in the stained garments of malice and anger. But in light of the new age that has dawned in the resurrection, these old clothes have quite literally gone out of style. They're not coming back in style like retro clothing, right? They're not coming back. You know, there was a time where bell bottoms came back and people come back with all this trendy stuff. This stuff is never coming back in God's kingdom. The bell bottoms of bigotry are not coming back into style, all right? The leisure suit of lying is not coming back into style. Do you see what I'm saying? But here's the deal. We often, we hear this, right? And we're like, man, I hear you, but I, I found the best illustration about this struggle here. Uh, one day I sent, I sent my oldest son, Elijah, affectionately known as the fat man, um, it's a term of endearment. I just started, he, if you saw him when he was born, you would know why. My man came out looking like he was in junior high. He was so big. And so one night I say, I say, hey, fat man, go ahead up and get ready for bed, man. And dad will be up and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help you brush your teeth and all that. So he goes upstairs and he's up there for a little while and it's quiet. And you know what they say, silence is golden, except if you have little kids. And so that means there's trouble going on, right? So I'm like, hey, man, he's quiet. What's going on? And then all of a sudden I hear this bumping. Like, and the house feels like it's crashing down. And I go upstairs, and I, and I go into the room. My man has his shirt up over his head. He's got his pants down around his ankles. And he goes, Dad, I'm stuck. <laughs> and I, I looked at him, and I said, this is a perfect picture of how I feel often when it comes time to taking off the old moral vices. I'm just, I can't get out. I'm stuck. I can't get out. I can't get out of this anger. I can't get out of this wrath and this malice and this lying and this hatred. I'm like, I need to get out. How do we get out of these clothes? That's what brings us to our second point where we see our unity. Somebody say, check the unity. Check the unity. All right. Now, here's the deal. We are unified in our common failure to meet the dress code, aren't we? We recognize how often we fail to put on the, the moral virtues of, of the Jesus community and how often we're found wearing the old clothing. We're unified in our failure. But more importantly, we have a common Savior who can change us. How can we live up into this grand calling? How are we to put on this moral and ethical beauty? You have to look at the text again. Look at the text. And when you read down through the text this time, you have to read it 
as the resume of Jesus. He wore this clothing first for our redemption. Now we must wear it for our response and for reconciliation. Check it out. You have to look at this text and see God's chosen one, his holy one, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. If our hearts are to become compassionate, it will come in our wonder at Christ's compassionate heart for us. If we're going to put on kindness, it will come in our astonishment at his kindness toward us. Jesus touched the untouchable and he loved the unlovable and he forgave the unforgivable and he welcomed the undesirable and he saved the otherwise unsavable by free and sovereign grace. By his pure mercy, we are called his children. That's the good news of our of our salvation, that Jesus wore this clothing first. If we're to put on humility, it will come in our communion with the one who humbled himself to the point of death, Philippians 2, even death on a cross. For you, as, as the old school cats in the Nicene Creed said, for us and for our salvation, Jesus humbled himself. If we're to put on meekness, it will come as we learn from the meek and lowly Jesus. How could we ever become patient except that at seeing the amazing patience of God toward us every day when you wake up there are countless sins for which he forgives you he is able through Jesus to smile on you even though there's every reason to destroy you that's astonishing that's the only way you will become patient with other people Knowing his patience with you and your sin and your rebellion and your idolatry and your waywardness and all the multiplicity of words that are used to describe sin, he sees it all. Nothing goes past him. He sees all of your dirt. He sees all of the evil in your soul. He sees all of your bad intentions. He sees how you lean upon your shaky righteousness to try and have standing with him. Your righteousness is like the water in Flint, Michigan. Your, your righteousness... It's filthy. And yet we try to run to it, right? He sees you doing all that. And yet and still, even the smallest faith finds the greatest Savior. It's not the greatness of your faith that saves you. It's the greatness of your Savior. Even if you have faith that's hanging on by a thread. Martin Luther, again, put it like this. He said, it doesn't matter if you carry gold coins in a paper sack or in an amazing, beautiful leather canvas sack, you still carry the same treasure. Even little faith. He sees it all, and even your little faith warrants God's smile based upon the righteousness of Christ and not your own. The text says, bearing with one another, right? Look, the fact of the matter is that Christ has had and continues to have every reason to complain against us. You realize that? He condescended to us, lived among us, suffered like us, died for us, and yet was despised and rejected by us. After returning to sit at the Father's right hand, Jesus could have looked down over us and said, Look at their selfish hearts, Father. Look at their pride and their arrogance, Father. Look at the way that they hurt one another, Father. Look at the way that they refuse to, to love each other, Father. Look at the way that, that they express their, their cultural pride over one another, Father. 
But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus goes back to the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. He pleads the merits of his blood. He says, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? I have removed the filthy garments from them and have clothed them with clean garments. This is, this is what he does. He sits at the right hand of the Father pleading the merits of his blood on our behalf. How are you going to how are you going to change? How are you going to stop complaining against one another? You have to know that he's interceding for you when he has every reason to complain against you. That's good news. We can forgive because he has forgiven us according to the riches of his grace. Shall we hold one another in contempt when Jesus holds us in covenant? Shall we expel the other from our hearts when Christ holds us in his heart? May it never be. Can we give up on the other? When Jesus has never given up on us, he says, I never will give up on you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He shows us what faithful presence looks like and encourages us to faithful presence on the campus. The most, the most countercultural, radical, stunning, shake up kind of thing you could do on that campus is be faithful Christians. In the full meaning of the word. Do you know that it was in the context of cross-cultural community that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians? Do you know that? It was in that context. To be called a Christian, book of Acts, read chapters 11 through chapters 13 of Acts. It's at Antioch. At Antioch, they distinctly mention that the five leaders of the church in Antioch came from the five known parts of the world. They were, they were Middle Eastern and they were Asian and they were African and they were, they were Greek. And it was there that people looked at them and they said, nah, they're not Judeans. Nah, they don't believe in the Elysian mystery cults. Nah, they're not Herodians. They're Christians, because they follow that Christ. Look at that community. It's so cross-cultural. It's so mixed together. There's no discernible reason why a group that diverse is together, except that Christ is in the center of their fellowship. I'm saying the most countercultural, missional thing you could do on the campus of Alabama is to be Christians, distinctly Christian in a full orb sense of the word Christian, finding your identity in Christ Christian and not in your culture, finding your value and your worth and your satisfaction in the gospel Christian, not cultural Christian, true to Jesus and true to the church Christian, not any of the watered down, dumbed down versions of Christian that just amount to a mental assent to a set of truths but all in, he is my life. God is not a part of my life, he is my life. You get what I'm saying? Organizations and institutions and governments can throw all the money and programs that they want at social issues. And it will do some good, but nothing will do for the broken communities of this world what the gospel can do, 
when it is embodied in the lived theology of God's people. Nothing can do it like the lived out gospel. Plain and simple. Because here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see. This gospel cannot leave you passive and indifferent. Jesus places demands upon those whom He loves. If He loves you with this kind of love, there's nothing that He cannot call you to. There's nothing He cannot require from you. Here's what I'm saying. In the gospel... Christ throws open the closet of grace and He shows us a new and beautiful wardrobe. This closet is filled with the glorious hand-me-downs of Jesus Christ. He wore them first for our redemption. Now we must put them on for our response. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close with this. In my church, the women of my church one time, uh, they started this tradition where they do what is called a clothing swap. And here's the concept of a clothing swap. In a clothing swap, the ladies get to a point where they say, I'm tired of wearing this old thing. I'm going to go and I'm going to turn in my old clothing and I'm going to receive new clothing free of charge. And this is exactly what Jesus is offering his people. He's offering you a clothing swap in the gospel where he takes all of your sin. He takes all of your anger, all of your wrath, all of your malice, all of the obscene talk from your mouth. He takes that. He wears it. He bears it away to the cross. And then he provides for you a new wardrobe. This is the calling. This is the uniform that leads to unity, y'all. Do you see this? It's the uniform that leads to unity. When we put on this new moral virtue this new ethical beauty it fits us more and more to live the life of love for which we were created in the first place so take all this stuff and think through it pray through it dialogue through it don't be afraid of asking questions don't be afraid of screwing it up because as I told you already you're going to screw it up, just like me. But there's grace that abounds in the community of faith for screw-ups to work through their, their mistakes and work through their faulty thinking and to be renewed, to be transformed. This is the most profound thing you can do to testify to the greatness of Jesus Christ in the gospel. May God bless you and encourage you and let you see the fruit of this kind of gospel love, this kind of, of clothing swap. May He let you see new friendships. May He put people on your heart that you say, I, that person's on my heart. I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta pursue them. I gotta get to know them. I gotta build a friendship with them. Not in a paternalistic, condescending way, like I, I should go help those poor people. <laughs> but in, in a way where you recognize, I need them. I need them probably more than they need me. But we need one another. We need one another. So thank you again for letting me come and preach to you about Jesus and the gospel and life in the kingdom. 
I'm going to be praying for you and I'm going to be praying for Stu. Let me, let me tell you something else. The most important thing that I want you to walk away with is, as far as like, how can I help? How can I be a change? Take all of this stuff and integrate it into your own life. One. Number two, you need to pray for your campus minister. You need to pray for him. We, we do not have the strength or the theological information or the training to do this willy-nilly by ourselves. We need the grace of God as much as you do. We need the same, in other words, we need the same food that we're trying to serve up to you on a regular basis. Pray for Stu, that God would give him grace and wisdom, that God would help him to care for you well, that God would give him vision, and then ask yourself, how can I participate in the life of this RUF and be a contributor and not just a consumer? Christians are not mere consumers, y'all. We don't just consume, I'm, 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 Bible teaching, yum, 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 right? Here's the idea. You chew on it when he preaches it. You digest it through prayer, meditation, and community, and then you're meant to metabolize it in good works, participating in the life of God's work on the campus. So, pray about how to integrate this stuff into your life. Pray for Stu and MC, because you got to put up with them. <laughs> I jest. My wife puts up with me too. No, seriously, pray for them. One of the most meaningful things you can do is pray for them and keep them encouraged, Right? If something encourages you when he preaches, let him know. Let him know. Like, that was encouraging. Thank you for that. Praise God for you. Like, whatever it takes, encourage him. And then ask the question, how can I be involved? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be something, all, you know, like super miraculous. Something small. What's a small way that you can start to take baby steps in contributing to this? Because this RUF is not just the result of this man's ministry. It's the result of y'all. So if you want to see this thing grow and beautify cross-culturally, take ownership, responsibility, and put all your chips in the middle of the table. For the Christian, nothing has ever done well halfway. You get me? So I love y'all. This was a joy to me. Thank you for having me here. And I hope it's not too long before I see y'all again. All right, God bless you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these students. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. I pray that you would fill them with your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray that you would help them to change clothes. I pray that you would give them the grace to continue to persevere in love. I pray that they would make a difference at Alabama because of their love, because of their countercultural. Uh, way of living into the kingdom life. I pray that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, man. Thank you appreciate it. Uh, so Russ, is, Russ has been such a servant to RUF in general. He serves on like the RUF permanent committee nationally and um, 